0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister. Helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level. For the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. When I ask product managers why they got involved with product management and what they want from the role, a frequent answer is to have more influence. It's expressed in different ways, but there's an influence characteristic for sure. And this also ranks as most important out of all the reasons for being a product manager. Does that ring true for you? It certainly isn't true for everyone, but that's what I predominantly hear from product managers. And product managers with more influence, well, they're able to accomplish more, creating better products for customers that they value. And product managers with less influence, you know, they might end up being treated like gophers, right? Asked to go do this and go do that. Such product managers are more reactive than proactive. And if you're like me, there's little that sounds fun or rewarding about that. Sure, we have to put out fires at times, but having more influence will help us to also be more purposeful. And to help us get this influence, I invited Tom Henschel back. He joined us in episode 137 to share a tool for talking like a leader, which is part of increasing your influence. This time, he's sharing a model for having more influence, which he calls the five influences strategies. In the discussion, you'll learn how to use the components of the strategy, which are build credibility, involve people actively, frame ideas for them, present compelling evidence, and customize your communication. You'll find the written summary, of course, as I always make a written summary for you. That's at com slash 162. I hope you enjoy the interview. Tom, welcome back to the Everyday Innovator podcast.
2: Thanks. Great
1: to be back. So you were a popular guest back in episode 137, talking about kind of how we can frame our communications to really uh, be more dynamic and stand out and communicate well. And as we were chatting about some other things... You have a tool called the Five Influence Strategies. And I was really interested in this because as I've talked to product managers, I often, when I meet someone, I'll ask them, you know, why did you get into product management? And just what are some of your frustrations around it? And what are, your, what are your interests? What kind of drew you to it? And I have a long list of what people share about you know, what drew them to it. A lot of it has to do with kind of the entrepreneurial aspect, you know, working inside a company and making something new. But there's usually two things that, that really stand out. It seems like a lot of us are wired that we just like creating products that create value for customers. That's something we enjoy doing. And we also got into the role, many of us, with this notion of of being able to have more influence over product and influence over the organization. And so this concept of how can we create influence with others is really tangible to product managers and important to us. So when I saw you had the five influence strategies and you were such a popular guest last time, it was time to get you back, Tom, and I appreciate you doing that with us.
2: I'm delighted to do it.
1: Uh, I will be sharing in the show notes for this episode a list of those five influence strategies that you shared with me, but we'll just step through them. The first strategy in your model is called build credibility. Can can you tell us the components of credibility and, and how, as product managers, we can go about building that?
2: Yeah, credibility is, is an interesting problem because first of all, it's not an event. It, it gets built over time and it, it so much is dependent on the other person's perception of you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, credibility is something that you don't show up one day and have it. You also don't show up one day and not have it. It's, it's this idea of depositing all the time. What I think is a problem around credibility or the challenge around credibility is that uh, it's made up of two components. One is expertise. Another is relationships. And I think those two things are in tension with each other. So I think people who are really good at expertise and really you know, that's how they think in the world. Mm-hmm. They tend to be quite a bit lower in relationship skills mm-hmm. and vice versa. The people who are really good at relationship skills often are lower in expertise. And I, lo- I mean, I don't know about you, Chad, but I've, I, when I talk to people about this, and I, boy, I talk about this all the time with people, people have known like since high school which one they're good at, mm. and they, and they tend to get better at the one they're good at by the time you're needing to influence people the truth is both are important. Right. And so often people show up really heavily weighted on one side or the other and they their they're problem with their credibility as well. Yeah, 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 you know, we really love working with her. She's really great. She's she always does what she says she's going to do, but man, she's not a very nice person. Mm. You know, we don't like working with her. Like, oh my god, here she comes again. Could we maybe not invite her to the meeting? You know, that kind of thing that's not going to go well for you. And that's a credibility issue.
1: Right. I like those two aspects that you shared. Expertise you have to have. So you have to be able to get the job done, You know, sign up, actually deliver on what you sign up that you say you're going to deliver and have that accountability. And then the relationship aspect, which is how good of a job are we doing and just working with others, being nice and friendly and creating a good impression of ourselves with others. And I don't know, Tom, if we talked about this last time or not. One of the tips i often give product managers and it, frankly it's something i wish i would have done earlier in my career and certainly more often because i'm on that expertise side right you know coming up as an engineer i think engineering schools do this to us maybe it's not a blanket statement but we we think we can solve any problem right and and we we are we are the experts for the for what's going on and relationships was largely an afterthought, and it was only through some experiences where I I got placed in charge of things that I had to figure out that the relationships kind of are important also, right? But my recommendation to product managers is to invite people to lunch. Go you know, each week, try to find someone you don't know in the organization and have lunch with them so you can learn more about their job, but it helps you build up your network inside the organization too and establish some of those relationships. And even if that's a little bit of a stretch for some of us, you know, doing it one a lunch with one other person, I, I think, is something we can move into and ease into.
2: You know, I worked with a woman here at one of the studios. I live in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. uh, she was an introvert, but terrific with data. She was great, and that's really what she was. That's what her job was: was to manage giant amounts of data for one of the studios. And she was when, and I talked to her about exactly that you, you, you know, let's get you out to lunch. And it was agonizing for her, Chad. I mean, she really, she could make up a million reasons not to do it. So I think your idea is a good one. And I know that for some people it's painful and hard and they Uh don't know what to do and they don't have the chat skill or they, they kind of, you know, that's just not only did they not know it as a technique They never learned it. They're just not prone to it. And so, this idea of actually developing whichever one of yours is the lesser skill for some people is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. And by the way, I'm really high in the relationship piece and low in the expertise piece. So, you know, when I got into this business, often, you know, I was really lousy with my data. I I thought that I was going to win people over just by kind of the force of my personality. Right. And so, you know, I was weighted the other way and it took a long time to kind of learn those skills and to do it as a, what I call a 5% growth goal, mm-hmm. meaning, look, I'm not going to treat it like a light switch. Like today I'm at zero, tomorrow I'm going to be at hundred percent, but let me just do 5% more tomorrow. And that's what I talked about with this woman at the studios of like, you don't have to change overnight, but over the course of a month, what would it take to do 5% more networking? right and she got better at it over time but she never loved it it was a little bit like taking bitter medicine but <laughs> you know what i mean but she began to see it as something that she really needed to invest in and grow in
1: that's an excellent uh, excellent advice there so a lot of this is just recognizing where is our strength and where can we where do we need to work and both of these components are important to us the expertise and the relationships and then taking those, you know, some planned steps. I like the 5%, you know, idea. I'm not going to solve this this today all at once, but taking some planned steps. Maybe it's, you know, on your way into your office, you stop by and you say hi to someone. For over a few weeks, you start to get to know them a little bit, right? And it starts simple with, hey, nice weather we have today, right? You know, saw this movie this weekend, and you just, right? Am I going down the right path here, how, how we could build this up?
2: Absolutely, and for people who I think your profile is not unusual, where you know people in your community are probably going to be higher in the expertise part and perhaps lower in the relationship part. Mm-hmm. There's so many articles, whether it's in Forbes or Harvard Business Review or Inc. or Fast Company, that that give simple ideas about building relationships. And yep. certainly, by the way, you know, on my website, there's tons and tons of stuff about relationship building. That's what I'm partly all about, you know, where you can just like take one idea and do it because chat and all that, it, it is a skill mm-hmm. that it is learnable like anything else. So you can begin to kind of take the component parts and just flex your muscles around it.
1: Excellent. So that's the credibility made up of expertise and relationships. Now the next part of the model you say is involve people actively. How do we do that, right? How do we increase our influence by involving people actively?
2: So first, let's think about what influence really is, because I think in general, influence is this idea that I'm going to convince you. I'm going to persuade you. So I'm in a position and you're in a position and I'm going to get you to come to my position. And I just want to say, first off, think about that. Like, uh, I mean, if you're in a long-term relationship, really like do you really convince anyone you you don't convince people even the people who love you and who live with you and they adore you, you don't convince them. Somebody just kind of cares more about it. And so the other person concedes mm-hmm. now think about it in the workplace where I'm going to come and convince you about something where you've actually got something at stake and your boss has priorities for you. And I, you know, it's like, really? So, You know, here we are with this idea about involving people actively. And what, what I want to start with is this idea that I, I have to stop pushing you because that's really what I'm, I think most people think of as influence or persuasion is I'm going to push you to my point of view and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So can I just tell you the story that I love about this? Please. Uh, I love this story. So this goes back to world war II. So World War II on the home front, there were all these shortages because the government was trying to supply the war effort. Uh-huh. So there were shortages of gasoline and rubber and metal. There was also shortages of food because the government was, you know, packing up all these meals to send them overseas. And so the government wanted to persuade or influence women who were cooking for their families on the home front to use more organ meat heart and livers and kidneys and stuff, which, and tongue, you know, and these were not great cuts of meat. Nobody wanted to eat this stuff. So they did two different ways of persuasion. And this is where the story comes in about involving people actively. With one set of women, they went into the community and they would hold like a seminar at somebody's home or in a library. And they would come with recipes and charts and calories and they would teach about organ meat and why it worked and why it was important. And they would talk about the war effort and they would push this information at these women. And the women, by the way, you know, everybody had somebody involved in the war. Right. I mean, these women were were dedicated and they would nod their heads and say, thank you very much. There was another group of women. They would get them together. And they would sit down with them and they'd say, Look, you know, this is really important. If you were going to go next door to your neighbor, to, you know, Mrs. Jones, how would you convince her to do this? And then the women would start to talk about what they would do to their neighbor. Well, of course, they're really talking about what would convince themselves, right? They're thinking about it. They're now truly actively involved. They're not passive receivers, they're having to right? Create the solution themselves. And then the government goes away and the government comes back. Well, which group is more compliant? I don't think it's a big surprise that the second group was way more compliant. And that's the example of involve people actively, right? Mm -hmm. So if I could come to you and I'm trying to quote, persuade you to do something or persuade you to take on my idea, could I stop yakking at you? Could I like listen to your ideas about my ideas? You know, because I don't think we do that. I think we go in wanting to kind of like load our gun and shoot, you know, and if you have an objection, I'm going to kind of beat it down and argue against it and push against it. Right. So that's the idea of actively involving others.
1: That's a really good example. And did it spam come out of the, the war effort? <laughs> the, 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 yes, that's the, right.
2: That's what I've heard. The, yes, the, the it did.
1: Tie in here. Uh-huh. That connects back to the importance of relationships, too right? That if we're trying to involve others, that means we have some kind of relationship or we'll be establishing a relationship with them as we involve them in our ideas.
2: Ooh, I love that you made that connection. Now, I just want to tell you the connection that I see there, which Mm -hmm. is one of the most important relationship skills is listening. So, I come and I say, hey, so going back to the first one, right? I'm going to just chat with you a little bit. How was your weekend? To be able to listen and ask a follow-up question and be curious and not take the ball back, meaning, uh, you know, you get a turn and then I get a turn. But know that you get a turn and then you get another turn and then you get another turn. Right. That's a learned skill. And most people, again, are not terribly good at that. Right. The same thing would be true if I'm going to actively involve you in your ideas. I mean, for me to kind of go, well, Chad, listen, you know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't do this. Tell me why. Mm-hmm. And you tell me why. And instead of now arguing right against it to say, oh, that's really interesting. Can can you explain that more to me and ask you to go even deeper in it? That's another idea of keeping you actively involved. Mm -hmm. And it is a relationship skill. It's a listening skill. It's a curiosity approach.
1: Yeah. Curiosity by itself goes a long, long way. Just being curious about people and why they have the perspectives they do and try to incorporate that into our thinking and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite leadership quotes is uh, something like, Followers will not remember what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. This aspect of involving them actively and in the process, how they're feeling is likely what they're going to remember if that's establishing a good, positive relationship or a negative one.
2: Well, I'm going to guess, too, that all of your community, your listening community, has gone to, let's say, a training and then gone away. And really, 48 hours later, how much are they retaining? Right. Right. So if, again, if the analogy is that I'm going to come to you and push all my data at you and tell you all the good reasons why, and you're going to sit there and nod and be compliant like those women in the library, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to nod and be compliant, and they have good intentions. But really, 48 hours later, you know, you've got a million emails between now and then, and you've got your own meetings, and you've got your busy day. And, I mean, what are you going to remember on Thursday about what I told you on Tuesday? Right. And you haven't changed your habits any.
1: Right, there, there's been
2: right no change there. at all you're gonna do what you did but if you had to think about it mm-hmm, right and you had to talk to me about it you're actually digging your own grooves in your brain and you can retrieve that
1: right and I'm starting to think about how I would change my behavior you know, because of that right so, yeah very powerful
0: we'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us that concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now.
1: On to the third strategy of your model. And you call that one frame ideas for them. Tell us about this one.
2: So stick with this idea of I'm going to push my ideas at you. When I do that, when I feel really strongly about something and I can see it completely clearly, I'm I'm talking from my point of view, mm-hmm. right? And it makes perfect sense to me. So when I come to talk to you now, I'm literally going to talk to you from my point of view. All good, except it doesn't mean much to you. Right. So I just, I got to tell you this story. This was such an amazing learning for me. So I was a, a younger consultant and there was an opportunity that I really wanted to compete for. And uh, there was a woman named Rochelle who I really felt was kind of the, uh, she was going to be the decision maker and I really had to win her over. So I called a friend of mine and I asked her for help, you know, on how I was going to quote persuade or influence Rochelle. Uh So I go to breakfast with my friend Mindy, and Mindy was great. She comes with a pad of paper and a pen, and she says, okay, so you have to tell me everything you're going to tell Rochelle, like tell me all the reasons really help me understand it from your point of view, Tom. And I talk nonstop. Oh my God. I just like vomited all this stuff. And I had all this passion. I could barely eat my breakfast and Mindy's furiously making notes and doing that whole thing. And I'm feeling really good. Like I am being so damn persuasive. Like I'm making my points and and Mindy's writing it down and I'm going, this is going to be great. And we get to the end of my story. Mindy asks some clarifying questions and then Mindy goes, okay okay. Okay. I think I know where you're coming from, Tom. So here's what I'd like to do with you. I'm going to be you. You be Rochelle. I'm going to convince you. And she started. And she basically did it right back to me. But now I was supposed to be Rochelle. And for a minute, I couldn't. But at a certain point, I actually started arguing Rochelle's position. And it completely changed how I thought about it. Hmm. And as I heard Mindy talking, my points that I had said like three minutes earlier. I listened. Went. That's ridiculous. Rochelle would never listen. Like, I could completely see why it was not a great argument for Rochelle. It was good for me. It may, it did make sense to me, mm-hmm. but not for her. And when I finally went to talk to Rochelle, having really like thought from her side of the table. Oh, we had a completely different conversation. I've never forgotten it. And I just want to say that's the idea of framing something, ideas for them. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm just going to dress it up a little and use your jargon. I mean, like, really, if I could think about why you won't, you know, do this thing, why you won't, you know, what your objections really are, and then argue your objections, boy, that's a big help.
1: Yeah, and it's something that product managers need to be doing all the time: is putting ourselves in the shoes of our customers and thinking about their actual problem and what they value. When we go to communicating our ideas to others and trying to influence them, build some collaboration here. Doing the same thing is important, right? Using those skills we have with customers, with our colleagues, and placing ourselves in their shoes and trying to frame our ideas in terms of in their perspective will make our communication much more effective, too.
2: Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, That's absolutely. So this one's big. And and I just want to say this is a little bit like, um, oh, people who rank themselves as drivers, we all think we're good drivers, right? Or people who rank themselves as listeners, oh, we're all good listeners, right? right. I mean, this is one where we all think we're already good at this. And I think we're all delusional, right. <laughs> you know this, this is one where, however good you think you are, you can get better at this and doing the kind of exercise that I'm suggesting, like if you could find time to go with a coworker and go in a conference room and really like switch roles mm-hmm. I mean it really do the exercise it is revelatory it is eye opening that's
1: a, a powerful exercise, and I think for me. I don't slow down to think about that some of the time, right? I, I get excited about the idea. I want to share it with others. you know, just like you said, you know, you're passionate about how you can help racial. You are going to share all this information. Slowing down and thinking about, well, hold on, what is their perspective going to be about this information? And how can I, th- you know, think about this through their lens, the, how they're going to be hearing how they see it. And I love that exercise. Find someone that you can role play with. And be in the other role and, and see how you think about it differently.
2: Yeah, I also I think too when we really look at certain professions like lawyers, mm-hmm. where they do mock court, mm-hmm. where they really really do their thing, or they they look at discovery, which is all about what the other side has, and they do that homework and they take it terribly seriously. Mm-hmm. There's something to be learned from that, because I, I think we often feel, as you just described it, that idea about, like, I get excited. It's so clear to me that it's like, well, why wouldn't everybody see it this way? Right. You know, we all, it's just like, well, duh, but people don't see it that way. And, and so I think we need to get off our enthusiasm and simply and kind of do better homework and take this seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great opportunity.
1: So frame it, frame ideas for them, the people you're trying to influence. Yep. Your fourth uh, area in the model, fourth strategy is present compelling evidence. Hmm. And when when I think about that, there seems to be two parts here, the the presentation and the compelling part. Uh, (laughs) Tell us about presenting compelling evidence.
2: I I hope that you and your listeners are hearing a a kind of string from numbers two, three, and four. Mm Mm-hmm right? This idea of actively involving people, letting people talk their own ideas, this second idea about really taking someone else's perspective. Well, now it's like, now it's finally your opportunity. Now it's your opportunity to tell your story. But I want to be sure you heard what I just said. I didn't say it's your opportunity to present your data. It's your opportunity to tell your story. So I think that compelling evidence, underlining the word compelling, Mm -hmm. usually is not data. It's usually not. I think the things that really, really stick with people over time are stories Mm -hmm. or analogies or metaphors. And often again, having coached lots of men and women who have come up through the engineering ranks or scientists, PhDs, MDs. These are men and women who really believe the data speaks for itself. And in some groups, it does. But when, especially when you need to win over a room full of people or certain men and women who think differently about their work, mm-hmm. being able to tell a story is A winning way to do it because, and again, I think, so here's a a good example. I'm going to guess that your listeners tomorrow or 48 hours after they listen to this podcast could probably go and tell some version of that World War II organ meat story. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even have to go back and listen to it again. They've got it. They heard a story, it landed in a certain place with them, it made a certain kind of sense, and they could go tell their version of it. Would they tell it exactly the same as I did? No. But you know what I mean? They've got the story embedded in them. Think about that, Chad. Think about what that implies, that just by hearing a story one time, and that story was what, three minutes long or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. that it landed in people's kind of hearts in a way that they could say it to their kids over dinner tomorrow night. That's powerful. Right. That doesn't happen off with us often around data. We need to go to the chart. We need to look it up. We need to pull up the slide. We need to like, what does that mean? Well, uh, or you know, we go, it was a really big number or whatever. Like most people don't capture it on the first here. So this idea about presenting compelling evidence is putting it in a way that, that sticks with people, makes an impression on people, and they know on some level in their gut that it's right. And this is not Just data now, because I mean, think about the words I'm using, they're feeling things in their gut. And I know that a lot of engineers hear that, and frankly, think it's fluffy. Right? But I think it is compelling. Mm -hmm. I wonder how it sounds to you. I mean, you're a great representative of your community. Uh, I, I do like
1: that you highlighted the story that you shared earlier as something that will probably be remembered from our discussion. Right. So, you know, the, the tool of finding a colleague and switching roles is really valuable. And I hope people remember that, you know, as one way to help them frame, frame conversations they want to have with people to have more influence. But you're right. It's the, the story that will probably stand out. I'm just thinking about the impact of story that that has on us as people. We seem to be wired for a good story. It's why we like going to movies. It's why movies that follow a predictable storyline, you know, that there's someone that, you know, Luke Skywalker, he, you know, he's wondering, does it, do I have what it takes or not? You know, my stepdad wants me to stay here. I really want to be a Jedi. I guess I don't have what it takes. You know, he gets called by the hero, Uh, to come train to be a Jedi by Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, there's a story arc that we're all used to. And we seem to be wired to connect to that. And when you talk about about compelling evidence, it's interesting. You you said some people are moved by the data, right? There, There are a few circles where the data speaks loudly. But outside those circles, it doesn't. And as product managers... It's interesting what's going on in product management. We largely are becoming more data-driven, and so we'll, we'll do these little experiments, like if it's a software pro- project product, maybe have two versions of a page that customers see. And Google routinely does this, and many companies do. You, you'll see a user interface that looks different one time, and they're just tracking you know, how that responds with people. Um, we're doing more formal testing and see which one's better. At the same time, we're kind of becoming too data-driven in that sense, and it's becoming a little bit too abstract, where if you can bring in a customer and they share their experience with the product with the engineering team, and the engineering team is hearing it firsthand, and they're seeing the emotion that that customer conveys with you know problems that they run into, how frustrating this stupid product is when I try to do this. You know and what they're really trying to get done and how it's holding up their day and they really need to pick up their kid you know after school and and all these things right and and they bring in that emotion and that reality that is really impactful to a developer or engineering team to hear about a customer's experience firsthand and that is compelling evidence I think them sharing that story
2: right and you just talked about like the story of someone's life mm-hmm right? I mean, it's made up of things that people do and say and feel, and that's what makes stories compelling, Mm -hmm. is the details of what people do and say and feel. And listen, I I have taught storytelling for years. I work with men and women individually on it. I teach groups on this. Storytelling is innate to us as people, but some people are better at it than others. Oh, sure. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, again, if you have trouble finding your story you're not alone it i I mean uh, it takes time to find a good story some people can do it off the top of their head but i want to tell you those are rare people Mm -hmm. so i i also don't want people to imagine like because they struggle that they're not that 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 means they should either give up on it or oh see i'm not good at it it's like no 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 the best storytellers in the world work really hard at absolutely yeah so so to imagine that you need to take time out to find the story and then try and tell the story that's real. And I just, as a little tiny example, I'm going to guess that you in your life chat or any of your listeners in their lives have stories that they've told repeatedly stories of, you know, the Thanksgiving where your brother-in-law was a mess or a birth of a child or a, a you know, a wedding story. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, we've got, family stories that we've told mm-hmm. over time and by virtue of telling them over time we've gotten good at telling them so we know where the laugh is or we know where people go oh, you know we we we've learned how to tell a story and so each time we tell it is a rehearsal for the next time we're going to tell it even if we only tell the story 3 times a year think about what that process is for us is we're rehearsing our story I want to suggest to you that if you really want to build compelling evidence, again, you need to get a partner or somebody go in a room and try telling a story, right. and and don't assume that like you can think about it in the shower and then go into your meeting and tell a compelling story and actually win people over. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. And there's a thread through all these that we've talked about, you know, the, the importance of that relationship as you're telling that story mm-hmm. and framing it for them. What pieces of the story are they going to connect with that you want to make sure you maybe add color to and make it feel more real? You know, th- those pieces that would stand out for them. So, yeah. Um, excellent. So, present compelling evidence in stories and uh, bring stories into what you need to share. Your final strategy is customize your communication. And I'm curious about this because it sounds like we've already talked about some aspects of, you know, framing this for people. What do you mean by customize?
2: I think it starts with an acknowledgement that there are different kinds of people in the world. Hmm. So we've talked about, for example, some people are compelled by data. Some people are compelled by story. Right? Okay, fine. When I was a... Uh, Newbie consultant in this business, one of the very first things that somebody did for me was they sent me to a class and I learned a behavioral self assessment tool called DISC. Uh-huh. DISC is a behavioral self assessment that divides people in the world into four different kinds of styles. And what I saw was that half of the people in the world prefer process or results, and half of the people in the world prefer people or relationships. And I realized I was on one side of the line and my sister was on the other. And as soon as I could see that, it explained my relationship with my sister since the time I was probably three. I was like, oh, my God, I get it now. And it allowed me to flex my style. Hmm. And as soon as I could do that with her, I was more successful. I'm going to now change it a little bit and say, I was taught as a child that chat was a courtesy, and to not chat was rude. And because I was pretty verbal, it was easy for me to do. My sister, who's an introvert, found it torturous. Uh She didn't do it well, and she can do it now. She's worked hard at it. Well, when I became a consultant, I thought chat was my calling card. I thought that I could just go in and be chatty with people, and that would build relationships. When I learned DISC, what I realized is that there are certain people who, number one, are uncomfortable with chat, like my sister, by the way. People who are uncomfortable with chat, they just don't want to do it. And there are people who actually see chat with suspicion.
1: Yeah. What's your motive, sir? Why are you taking time to chat?
2: Right. You're wasting my time. Let's get Uh to the cut to the chase, right? I worked at a company where people had their DISC profile by their nameplate. So I could stand outside someone's office and look and go, this guy doesn't like chat. And now I'm getting to the idea of customizing communication. Right. So when I would get to someone and see in their profile that their profile told me they don't like to chat, I had to say to myself, don't chat, don't chat, don't chat. I would sit down, and I couldn't stop chatting because I'm so wired for it. It's what mm-hmm. I was taught from the time I was a little boy, and I've always thought it was my currency. And I learned to, to customize communication for them. Right? Not to just do what I like to do, but to be aware that other people have different styles and change my style. I'm not changing my morals. I'm not changing my values. I'm just changing my behavior in order to build the relationship right. and to be conscious that there are other ways of doing things. Boy, it's hard work. So that's the story here. And that's a good story, and maybe listeners
1: will remember that one too, you know, you and your sister being on the opposite sides of this process versus relationship issue. I've had my experiences with that, taking the Myers-Briggs type indicator uh, a few different times, right? Exactly, um, yes. And one time it was done exceptionally well, and out of that experience I recognized that there were certain types – That previously annoyed me. I mean, seriously, annoyed me.
0: Yes, right. It's
1: like, I would never want to have you on a team, right? By name, people that I don't want you on a team. That after this experience, I sought these same people out to be on my team because they actually helped me think much better, right? They helped the team think better. I love that you brought that story as part of this. You know, to customize our communication is appreciating how we're just wired differently. And figuring out how we can better leverage each other's different wiring can help all of us be better.
2: And again, let's imagine this. If I want to persuade you, because ultimately here we're talking about influence, right? Mm-hmm. If I want to influence you, the truth is, Chad, if you're a you know product manager, it's possible that you don't like stories. Right. And I'm a storyteller, which means that if I'm going to meet with you tomorrow and I'm going to try and, quote, persuade you, I better get my data together. Right. Right, so there again, it's like, and it, rather than seeing that as an annoyance, like, oh God, I got to talk to Chad and do this data, and having some attitude about it to kind of go, no, 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 this is my opportunity. Exactly, this is, right. I mean, come on, this is this is my chance to customize my communication.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to influence others, these five strategies work together, and right, and, and customize your communication is part of that. Excellent. I appreciate you taking us through those five strategies good value in all that. I want to encourage listeners to go to the show notes to find the summary of those and put some of these these tips into use. Hopefully, the, the stories that you shared, Tom, will help us remember some of those too. Good. Hope so. And you know I like innovation quotes. I asked you to bring one for us and share why you chose that one. What do you have?
2: So, this one uh, is different than the one I brought you last time. This one is from uh, Daniel Goleman, Daniel Goleman, back in the mid-90s, wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. He didn't create emotional intelligence, but he gathered all this social science that showed that EQ, as he called it, mm-hmm. in many cases, is actually a, a better leadership trait and lends to more success than IQ. Right. And one of the things that he wrote early, early, early in this book, kind of in the preface, has always stuck with me, and it's something I talk about with men and women all the time. So... Here's the quote Self awareness, recognizing a feeling as it happens, is the keystone of emotional intelligence. An inability to notice our true feelings leaves us at their mercy. That's my quote. This idea that actually recognizing feelings as they happen is a leadership strategy. And if you are not fluent in the language of feelings, you are at the mercy of your feelings.
1: I had to go look up something as you were sharing that because this issue of emotional intelligence, I think the number is uh, 4x. I, I believe what, what we found through leadership research is that the more effective leader Four times their effectiveness comes from their emotional quotient, their EQ, compared to their intellectual quotient. And this ability to be self-aware, know how others see you, and how, how you are seen by them, and, and how you can better influence them, is a big issue. And what strikes me as so interesting was just a couple weeks ago, in terms of when it got published, it will be later for listeners, but back in episode 152, I had Dr. Tasha Yurikon Uri- And she has a book called Insight, which is all about self-awareness. Great. Really valuable information. I was so excited when I came across her book, so excited to have the opportunity to talk with her. And last time I looked, it was one of the lower listen-to episodes. Mm. And I think there might be a connection here between what what we're talking about with, I'm trying to bring listeners things that I know will help them throughout their careers, and I think some of us as product managers might might look at this, oh, you know, this doesn't really help me with product management. But I brought it to listeners because self-awareness is so incredibly associated with your your career success over time.
2: I agree. And by the way... Well, look what I do for a living as an executive coach, right? I often am working with men and women on their self-awareness. And what's interesting to me about that quote from Goldman is back in 1995, what he's defin- he's defining self-awareness as the ability to recognize a feeling as it happens. Mm. That's what he's calling self-awareness, which I just think is fascinating. Like that's not what we often think of as self-awareness. And certainly mm-hmm. it's not the only definition of self-awareness, but it's interesting that that's his Mm-hmm. as it relates to emotional intelligence.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Certainly, Tom, how can people find out about the work that you're doing and uh, the resources you have available?
2: Well, thanks for that. So my company is called Essential Communications, and our website is EssentialCom, with two Ms, dot com, com. The podcast that I do once a month is called The Look and Sound of Leadership. It is an executive coaching tip that goes out to my listeners. I'm always trying to, you know, give someone a tool to do better in their professional and personal development. Mm -hmm. So, essentialcom.com and the Look Inside of Leadership podcast. That's ways to find me.
1: Excellent, Tom. I appreciate you taking time again to talk with us and sharing how we can have more influence with others. And I'm sure it will be a delight for listeners. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Find the summary of the discussion with Tom at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 162. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.